Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of tithing, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining that the Levites had very specific responsibilities. There were responsibilities that the Levites had, and the Israelites provided them with the resources that they needed in order to fulfill those responsibilities. And, of course, those responsibilities had to do with resolving conflicts. It had to do with public health and safety, those kinds of things. The Levites were the government in the land of Israel, and the tithe was a tax on the Israelites in order to support the government. Now, in this program, I would like to proceed with that and explain that Jesus fulfills the role of the Levitical priesthood in our lives. And in the previous program, I explained that the Lord Jesus does this within and through us as he lives within and through us. He guides us and he leads us in such a way that we do not violate our neighbors, that we maintain public health and safety. He does this in the hearts of his people. And so, in a way, Jesus has fulfilled what the Levitical priesthood foreshadowed or prophesied in the Old Covenant. That in the New Covenant, the Lord Jesus fulfills this role. That he is the reality that was, in a sense, foreshadowed by the Levitical priesthood. And so, I just wanted to mention that again. And the reason why is because I want you to get in touch with something. I want you to really think about this and understand that the Lord Jesus does this in the hearts of his people without a tithe. He does not receive a tithe in order to perform these functions. And I know that might sound a little surprising to you because there are many people who suggest that when you give your tithe, you are giving it to God. I hear that all the time. I know what this is about. I know that there are many people who suggest that when you give them your money, you are actually giving to God. And so when I say that Jesus performs these functions without a tithe, you might be wondering, and if you're not, you should start to wonder now, you might be wondering, where is that money going? If he doesn't need it, then where does it go? How do people suggest that we are giving to God and yet He apparently doesn't need the money in order to perform the function that he performs within our hearts. How is that possible? Well, it's simple. How many people write out a check to G-O-D? How many people do that? Is that a common way to write out a check? Write it out to God personally. Or maybe that's a little too complicated. And if it is God, maybe you'd like to give him a little bit more. I mean, it's a little bit more real when you write down God on that tithing check, isn't it? I mean, when you write the name of your church, it's not really the same thing as giving it to God by writing his name on that check. And so when you do that, you might think of adding a couple more zeros to the end of that number that you write down. And where do you suppose this is going to be deposited? I mean, does God have a bank account around here somewhere? Does he do business with a bank? I'd like to know who his banker is. 
I'd like to get in touch with this banker. I'd like to set up an account there too. I would expect that if this banker is being responsible for God's money, then this banker probably has a few angels overseeing what he's doing, and he is going to have a lot of scrutiny placed upon him. He's going to have to be a little bit more careful when he decides how he's going to use that money that God has deposited in his account. And so, if my money is in the bank, it's probably just as safe as God's money. That's what we should be thinking if we are going to assume that God has an account here and that people are giving to God. But folks, listen, listen to me very carefully. God does not want your money. He wants you. He doesn't want your money. I explained this in the first program, either the first or the second program in the series. I explained that God does not need your money. He needs you. That's what He needs. That's why He is here. That's why you are here. And this should be evidence to show you that this is the case. Now, if this is true, and I certainly believe it is, if this is true, then how do we perceive those those people who suggest that you are giving to God? How do we perceive those people? We perceive those people as being at best immature believers. I personally believe that we could describe them as being relatively immature in their faith. Because if they were mature believers, if they were mature in their faith, they would have some degree of knowledge, of experience, with God leading them personally. If they have had any encounter with a living God who has revealed the truth that he leads and guides his people individually and personally, if they know anything about that, then I don't see how they could possibly suggest that you giving them money is giving to God. I don't believe that. Now, I certainly depend on donations. I have said that several times throughout this series. I do, and I certainly do appreciate all the contributions that people make. And I recognize that the attitude that people have when they contribute to my work is that they are giving to God. And in an abstract sense, I agree with that. I understand that. They are giving to the work that God is doing within and through me so that I can do more. I recognize that. I understand that. There's no need for you to contact me and ask me if I understand this or if I'm being deceptive in some way. I understand that. I recognize that. My point is, though, is that there are a lot of people who don't. They really don't. They really don't see it that way. Let me give you an example of that. There has been occasions when people have offered me money, and I have refused it. I have. I have refused the contributions that people have attempted to make towards my work. And there are some reasons why I have done that, of course. I don't do that just to be mean or cruel to somebody. There has been some occasions when I have made that kind of a decision. But did I tell them that they need to go give it to the devil? No, I don't tell them that. I tell them that they need to give that money to someone else who is doing a work that God has directed them to do. That if they want to give that money to the Lord, that's fine. I appreciate that, but don't give it to me. Give it to somebody else. I have done that on specific occasions. I don't do that very often. Normally I do that because people give me the impression that they want me to be obligated to them personally if I take the money. In those kinds of circumstances, I don't accept it. In addition to that, sometimes people tell me that they want to tithe to me, and I tell them directly, listen, if you want to tithe, you need to give it to somebody who believes in tithing in the way that you believe in it, because I don't believe in tithing in that way. 
And so, folks, if you're listening to me and you're giving me money according to a tithe, please don't tell me. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to be responsible for that. I can appreciate you wanting to give 10% or 15% of whatever you have. I understand that. I appreciate that. But if you are doing that because you think God is going to punish you if you don't, then please don't give it to me. I don't want to have any part of that at all. These are some examples with regards to what I mean when I say I have no problem refusing contributions. I have no problem with that at all. So please understand that the tithe was given for a specific purpose. The Lord Jesus, as our high priest, he fulfills those purposes without the tithe. But he does a lot more. Now, there are many people who have a hard time understanding this and accepting this. And I understand that there are a lot of pastors have an attitude towards me because of this, because there are many pastors, and you might be listening to me right now, there are many pastors who sincerely believe that if somebody walks into their decorated facility, if somebody walks in there, then they have, the pastor has, total and absolute authority over every aspect of that person's life. There are many pastors who believe this. Now, it's very unusual for one to let you know that that's how they feel about you, that that's what they think of you. They think of you as someone that they have total authority over your entire life if you walk in through the doors of their decorated facility. That's how some pastors are. And what is amazing to me is that there are people who have discovered that their pastors have this kind of an attitude, and they don't care. They really don't care. They say, fine, you know, if he wants to have that kind of an attitude, he can have that kind of an attitude. Of course, I'm not going to respond to that. I'm not going to allow him to have that kind of authority in my life. Well, then what are you doing in his church? What are you doing there? Your presence is supporting his work as much as if you were giving him money to do so. It's very similar. Your presence provides him with legitimacy You who have a reputation, when you are in that location, when you are around those people, other people will determine the credibility of those people by your reputation because you are there and you are recommending them and you are using your time in their space for their purposes. You get in touch with this, my friend. You get in touch with this and you understand the significance of your participation In these kinds of religious groups, you pay attention to that because it is very real. It is not something to be underestimated. Now, at the end of the previous program, I was talking about Hebrews chapter 7 with regards to Melchizedek. And again, the importance of this is recognizing that people are looking for further justification for the tithe. And this further justification is often found, or at least people believe it's found, in Hebrews chapter 7 because the tithe is spoken of before the Levitical priesthood. And so if the tithe existed before the Levitical priesthood, then certainly it has to continue after the Levitical priesthood. In the previous program, I explained very clearly, in my opinion, of course, I explained clearly, that the Levites tithed to Melchizedek through Abraham because they did not receive the full inheritance from Abraham that they otherwise would have received. And I explained that the significance of this was to show that there was someone greater than Abraham. This also shows that there was someone who was greater than the Levitical priesthood. 
Now, this might not mean anything to you if you're not a Hebrew, but if you're a Hebrew, you know what this means. You know, you should know the significance of this. Because to the Hebrew, there was no one greater than Abraham. Abraham, the friend of God. There was no one greater than him. And so for the Hebrews to embrace Jesus for who he is, they have to concede that there is someone who is greater than Abraham. And that's a very difficult transition for a Hebrew to make. Now, today, the Hebrews, more specifically the Jews, are different from the Hebrews who were alive during the time when this letter was written. And so there are some differences. But I need to mention that because it's very easy for people to read past this and not get in touch with the fact that the writer wrote what he did in Hebrews chapter 7 to show that there was someone greater than Abraham. There was someone greater than Abraham in the scriptures, specifically Melchizedek. And so if there was someone greater than Abraham in the scriptures, then why would it be so difficult to consider that Jesus is greater than Abraham? And he's certainly greater than the entire Levitical priesthood. He is greater than the high priest. The book of Hebrews addresses these things in these early chapters in the letter that was written to the Hebrews. Now, I have done a complete verse-by-verse study through the book of Hebrews from a Hebraic perspective. And what I mean by a Hebraic perspective is from the point of view of what the Hebrews believed during the time of the Lord Jesus. Not from the perspective of what the Hebrews believe today or what the Jews believe today, Because there has been a significant change in theology over the past 2,000 years. There has been some evolutionary change. And I know about most of these changes. And so I feel confident in teaching through the book of Hebrews from the point of view of the faith and of the religion of the Hebrews during the time that it was written. And I have done a complete study on that verse by verse all the way through. There are over 60 recordings that are available for free in my radio archive that you can download. If you would like CDs, I can send CDs out to you, of course, but please understand that distributing that many CDs is going to require a significant amount of work, and I am going to have to ask for some compensation to send out the CDs. But the MP3 files off of the website are free. By all means, please download those. If you would like to burn your own CDs, I would be more than thankful to send out to you the full-quality MP3 audio files that you can use to burn your own CDs with, and there is no charge for that at all. Just let me know that you would like the full-quality MP3 files, not the ones on the website, but the full-quality audio files, and I will get those out to you. But I want you to understand that it is very, very critical to know what the Hebrews believed during the time when this was written. Because if you don't know that, and if you don't know what was important to them, even though they didn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, there were things that were important to them. There were things that they believed. He spoke to them in the context of what they believed. And so when we read this letter, you should consider that and understand that. Even though they were wrong... It's not significant when you consider that people are still trying to speak to them. People are still trying to reach out to them, and that's what we have here. So when people misinterpret Hebrews chapter 7 and call it something that it isn't, they say things like, this describes tithing before the law, before the Levitical priesthood. 
in an abstract sense, that's true. But to suggest that that somehow justifies our teaching tithing today tells me that this is an individual who is, at best, a very immature believer and has no concept of why it was given and how it was used, especially here in Hebrews chapter 7. And so I really wanted to mention this again in order to emphasize this point, that you have to be very careful and you have to be aware of what people do not know. And people reveal what they do not know by telling you what they think they know. This is something that you should consider and you should recognize. Now, I'm going to explain a little bit more about the circumstance when Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. I'm going to explain this with more detail. Let's consider an example. What would happen if somebody came to your home when you weren't there, perhaps, and they took everything that you had in your home? Let's just consider that as an example. They took everything that you had and they stored it somewhere else, maybe in their home or something, but they took it away from you and you now have nothing. Now let's consider this situation and what might happen afterwards. Let's say that after you were robbed, I heard about this and I also found out who stole this stuff from you. I found out who took your property and I go and I take all of that stuff back. Let's say I go to their home or I go to their warehouse or wherever they keep this stuff and I take it back. I take it from those who robbed you. Now, on my way home with all of your stuff, I decide that I'm going to take one-tenth of all of these things and I'm going to stop off not at your home. I'm going to stop off at your church and I'm going to give a tenth of what I took of what I stole, effectively, from those who stole it from you. I'm going to take your property, and I'm going to take a tenth of it, and I'm going to give it to your pastor. That's what I'm going to do. And then when I get home, I'll keep the rest. We can just assume that that's the current scenario. I want you to get in touch with this, and I want you to understand that you still do not have anything that you had before. Your pastor now has a piece of it, and I have the rest or I distributed the rest of it to the driver and to the people who helped me move it, something like that. My point in explaining this to you in this scenario is to say that Abraham went and he conquered those kings who had stolen the property of other people. He took a tenth of the plunder that he received through war, and he gave it to the high priest of the people who were robbed. That's what happened. Does this sound anything like Abraham giving from his produce, from his income even, from anything? No, it has no relationship to what people are talking about today. No relationship whatsoever. If you would like to follow the model of Hebrews chapter 7, you need to find someone who is a thief and you need to go and conquer them. And take their property, which, of course, they got from somebody else, and then take a tenth of that and then give that to God, if that's what you want to do, if that's the kind of attitude you would like to have. If you want to follow the example of Hebrews chapter 7 and suggest that has something to do with tithing today, then that's what you've got to do, because that's what it talks about. That's what is spoken of here. All you have to do is read it. It's right here in Hebrews chapter 7. Read it. Read it in that context. If you need some help, go back into Genesis and read the account there and you can get some more details concerning the circumstances and the names of the kings that he conquered, 
things like that. There's plenty of information here. All you have to do is read it for yourself, but people don't do that. Instead, I bring up this subject and people ask me, well, what about tithing before the law? What do you mean, what about tithing before the law? Are you talking about Hebrews chapter 7? Why are you asking me? You've got a Bible. Open it up. You read it. If you need some help, I understand that. I've got some programs that I have done on that. But don't lean on me. Don't believe what I am saying just because I am saying it. Folks, you've got to look into these things for yourself. I could be wrong. I don't think I am. But you've got to consider the possibility that what I am telling you is not true. You have got to look these things up for yourself. You have got to study these things for yourself. You have got to pray. You have got to ask the Lord to give you some discernment, some confirmation, some something besides just myself. Because, folks, I am not God. If you haven't noticed, I am not. I'll let you know right now. I am not God. I am not God manifested in the flesh. I have plenty of sin in my life. I want you to understand that you can look these things up for yourself. And you should look these things up for yourself. And you should search the living God for insight and for discernment because he will give that to you abundantly. Let him do that. He is your God. Do not, do not underestimate what that means. Now, why is it that people have a hard time with this kind of an explanation? I've given this explanation to a lot of people. I have spoken about this for years, for decades. I have spoken about this to a lot of people. And I have experienced resistance. I have, and I can understand that. Who am I, right? I'm nobody when it comes to this. So I know what it is to speak to people about this subject and to be rejected. And perhaps you're one of these people. And I have considered this. I have. I take this very seriously. And I have prayed and I have asked the Lord, why is it that people want to believe a lie? Why do they want to believe a lie? And the answer that I get from him most often, there are occasions when he gives me different answers. Most of the time he doesn't say anything, but there are occasions when the Lord speaks to me. And when he has spoken to me about this, he has given me specific insights with some people on occasion. But I want you to know that the predominant response or the predominant knowledge that I have concerning this, is that people do not want to believe this because they don't want to give up an opportunity to be blessed. That's what's really holding a lot of people back. It's not about the truth when it comes to these kinds of things. You can argue with people for days, for weeks, for years even about this, and you can be completely correct. And they may even recognize that you are completely correct. And you will discover that it doesn't matter, that it doesn't mean anything to them, because you're arguing something that is of no importance to them. They don't care about the truth. Not that way. And I know you might find it a little surprising, but I've had these kinds of conversations with people when I have said, this is the truth, and they have told me very directly I'm referring to people to include pastors who have looked at me in the face and have said this. I quote, I don't care about the truth. I have heard that. Now, you may not hear that on the radio or in public or while they're giving you a sermon. They're not going to say that kind of thing to you. But to me, privately, when I have had these kinds of discussions, I hear these kinds of things all the time. 
that the truth is not the issue. The argument is not the issue. Whether you win or lose the argument, whether you proof text your way through it or not, isn't the issue. The issue to most people is, is that they don't want to give up an opportunity to be blessed. And if they can't tithe, if they can't give their money to God, then God won't owe them anything. They need Him to owe them something so that they can believe that He will bless them in return and that He had better. And if He doesn't, then He's not God. People have that kind of an attitude that the blessings that they believe that they are going to receive are more important than the truth about these subjects. They are more important than the issues that our God has said are important for other reasons. They are important. They're very important, but for other reasons. So people feel very threatened by me proclaiming things like this because they are concerned. And in many ways, they should be concerned. But they are concerned that they're not going to be blessed by God. Now, my position on this is very simple. And that is that if this is your attitude... To me, I want you to know what I hear and what I see in you. I see you as a person who does not know all of the blessings that he has already given to you in Christ Jesus. That's what I see. You do not know how you have already been blessed. That's why you're looking for additional blessings. Because if you know, if you knew the blessings that he has already given to you, It would be trivial for you to let something like this go, thinking that you're going to have to give up some blessings of some kind. What would you give up? You're not giving up anything. I'm not giving up anything. I don't give up anything by believing what I believe about tithing. I don't give up anything. I have everything. I have everything that I need for life and godliness. It is written, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Is that true? I believe it's true. I really do. But this is what holds most people back from the truth. Their fear that they are going to have to give up some blessing that they would have received otherwise. And I will explain this with more detail when I speak about the passage found in Malachi when he spoke about the tithe. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that you may